Welcome to another edition of Let Me Tell You Something's Five Star Project, a year-long um, adventure. As myself, Lorcan Mullen, and my co-host Simon Cross try to watch every match that we can find that Dave Meltzer has rated five stars or higher. We are now into the twenty-first century. Uh, well, some of us not necessarily politically, but we'll leave that for another time. My <laughs> couldn't wait, could you? Jesus, <laughs> we. I are... said before, I say again, you're going to get me stabbed. <laughs> Yeah, but so si, you need to stop saying the people that keep stabbing people. Um, what we're talking about this time, though, is the second and last match from Pro Wrestling Noah, from the uh, shuffling corpse that was 1999 AJPW, 2000s, 2000 AJPW, uh, became Pro Wrestling Noah, uh, the uh, offshoot promotion run by Mitsuharu Masawa who was going to build the promotion around these two top stars. But it took a bloody long time to get them to the Tokyo Dome to main event for the GHC heavyweight title. Who are we talking about, Simon? Talking about Jun Akiyama and Kenta Kabashi. Yes, as we'd said in the previous one, Kabashi ended up taking about 21 months out of the previous two years before his title match against Masawa off due to a variety of injuries. But now it's a year and a bit on. Uh, from that victory, it's the 1st of July 2004, it's the Tokyo Dome, a venue rarely used by a All Japan beforehand, which is probably another factor into why Masao was getting frustrated with the running of the company, but a place that Noah were already ha- had held a couple of shows before, and we're going to hold another one here. And at this point, it must be said, Noah is basically the hottest promotion in Japan. All Japan is under Kijimuto, but never really recovered from that mass talent exodus. Uh, New Japan is in the throes of the insanity of Inoki and his obsession with MMA. Um... <laughs> Uh, Pro Wrestling Zero One and all the other offshoots are all doing not as great business as once before. Pro Wrestling is in a bad place in Japan for the most part. But it is Noah with its already popular stars of Masawa and Akiyama and the returning Kenta Kabashi. They had TV uh, coverage still. And they had a hot, young, talented roster underneath, especially in their junior heavyweight division with the likes of Kenta, Naomichi Marafuji and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. Etc. Uh, Etc. Et but it was still that main event scene being dominated by Kabashi and Akiyama. And like I said, they they've been a tag team on the first night of the first show of um, Noah, where they faced off against Masawa and Tawei, and they'd had Tawei caught uh, win two straight falls with victories over both Tawei and Masawa, then turn heel on Kabashi, and beat Kabashi clean the next night really establishing that Akiyama was who they saw as a future star and as well as that Kabashi would be like the number one babyface. But it took them three whole years of injuries, stop-start pushes for Akiyama to finally get them to the Tokyo Dome. And it's a pretty healthily uh, packed Tokyo Dome, at least as far as they, the camera angles will show you. Yeah. Again, symbolic that Noah was the biggest promotion of Japan at the time. And the the colour scheme is... And there's light lasers and lights. It's not like... WrestleMania time, but it's definitely a, the production is still not a lot flashier than it had been 
for all Japan that we'd seen yeah. from basically the same presentation almost from the days of Hansen and Brody through to Saruta Tenru to Masawa Kabashi Tawei Kawada and Akiyama. So, yeah, well, we briefly uh, touched on this, like how their production values pretty much ruin a time capsule for like the entire like time we've been watching them, and it just seems like a massive leap forward. And it's hard to think that the gap's so small between the last All Japan match and this Noah match that we're watching. I mean, it, it, I, I've seen promotions in the last couple of years, like Independence and stuff, and production values nowhere near like this. AEW's production values compared to Noah's in this, you know, it's it's a little bit of a toss up in some areas. Whereas with things like graphics and yeah, um, you know, pyro and and what, what what that gains, but it's definitely a lot. Of, it's in relative terms, it's a lot flashier than what all Japan have been doing. Um. What's, Absolutely. What's noticeable now is that, like I said, we're 15 months into this period where Kabashi is just the ace of Noah, and in our many cases, the best wrestler in the world, and he's being presented as such. He has surpassed Masawa. He's surpassed Tawei. If Kawada was still there, he would have surpassed him too. He's yeah. the top star, and only Akiyama is close to him, and that's what we get with the impression of this match. He's gone through everyone in his defences leading up to this match. I think he had beaten Akiyama one time before as well. So... That second bite of the cherry is very frequently the moment when a new champion is crowned. And even the most dominant champions, he's coming towards that sort of length of time that Okada had with his record uh, run with the title as well. Um, although that ended up lasting two, almost exactly two years. But um, but Kabashi has uh, fit more de- defences in during that time. Yeah. Uh, so it is that case of, well, maybe Kabashi can't do much more with this title reign. So... It definitely feels like if they're going to pull the trigger, maybe now's the time to do it. Yes. And what is also interesting as well is that essentially Kabashi now takes the role that Masawa held in their five-star match only a year and a bit before. Kabashi is the establishment, and Akiyama <clears throat> is the next inheritor of the mantle. It's been that way for years. Is this the moment where the torch is passed so soon after Kabashi's uh, been able to finally claim the torch for his own? But he's already yeah. clearly on borrowed time. What do you make, just before we he- hop into the meat and uh, potatoes of the match, what do you make of um, the frame of Kenta Kabashi? He looks jacked as hell, upper yeah. body-wise, doesn't he? Well, he was always a big guy. He was always a bodybuilder. But he doesn't yeah. have like the definition of a Lex Luger. But he certainly has a lot of bulk. He looks like a heavyweight. Yeah. Um, if you look at like his stuff when he was like younger, he, he he just seemed to have more consistent shape throughout, whereas he seems a bit top-heavy. In well, a good that's, way. That's a combination of how old you get, probably, uh, probably maybe also because he couldn't rely as much on his speed and his uh, quickness, so he had to have gains in strength and, and that. Like, yeah. I mean, to give you an example, late in the match, he pulls off his moonsaults. But it looks like a very different moonsault. I don't know if you noticed it, but I don't, yeah. I don't know if you remember, like, Kabashi's moonsault in the early 90s was like a thing of beauty because he got so much spring on it. And so the the opponent was actually quite a f- very close to where he was, but he could jump so high and rotate so quickly. Like it didn't matter. Gracefully, it didn't matter. Whereas with this one, Akiyama's a fairer distance away. It's about halfway. And that's because Kabashi basically needs that distance to do the full rotation now. Yeah. You know, his knees are fucked and are never going to get any better uh, at this point. Like I said, he's had multiple knee surgeries. And that is factored into the match. Akiyama does go after the knee a couple of times in it. But like I said, um, 
Akiyama is the defiant figure, and he's also the heel. Like, early on, he brushes off uh, Kabashi with chops, and Kabashi does uh, shoulder tackles, and Akiyama just runs through them, basically, and will not, you know... Both obviously see themselves as a top dog, and this was a real, yes. you know, this is a real, you know, who's clash that? of the titans. Yeah, clash of the like the a proper the proper challenger for the 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 leader, you know, lion, you know, the young lion cl- trying to claim the the head of the herd from the yeah. um, or the pack. What is it with lions? No, uh, pack's fine. I think pack. Yeah, yeah. You sure? It might be herd. I don't think it's herd. Not herd of lions. Pack of lions. No, neither sound right. Because it's pack of wolves. Pride! The pride of lions. That's it. Right. Ah, sorry, I was about, just about to Google that. Mm. But yeah, it's to be who's the who's the, the you know, the king of the pride. And they are both very proud men. Oh he did a thing then. One of the things that I always say that people sometimes miss when they try to imitate these matches is that they do the classic stuff. And they work a whole... Like we were saying with the Kabashi-Misawa matches, how much they worked a wrist lock for quite an extended period of time mm. at the start. In this, they go full-on Hogan Warrior WrestleMania six with a test of strength. It's Yeah, and they just like... um, It's weird, because they do that... They do have a bit of wrist lock trading first, and it's weird. They're sort of doing, like, the old-school peanut style. They're sort of turning it in on each other, whereas... It was like flips before in the like arms behind the back with Misawa mm. um, versus Kabashi. And then you're right. He, not only do they do the test of strength, but they he actively like, mind you, there's no way of not doing it with a test of strength. But there's always there's that little bit of, come on then, before he does it. Yeah, like, yeah. He goes, it's not like just, oh, I'm going to feel you out. Like the old 80s test of strength where they dangle one arm up, then the other, then they bit. lock. They do do that a bit. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's, it is like classic Yezu wrestling, and it is the same. And in many ways, it is Hogan Warrior. It is the top two stars. Although Akiyama is a heel per se, they are the two. If you're the biggest stars, you're also probably the most popular figures. Yeah, it is a it is little the bit more force meeting the immovable object. It is Ace fa- versus Ace. Yeah, it's a little bit faster than the '80s one. There's a little bit more. Mm. Vigor to it. Well, I like the story. Broadly, you're right, yeah. The story it also tells uh, in this opening exchange is that Kabashi does overpower Akiyama because he is bigger and he is stronger. Like you say, his frame is larger. But when Akiyama's in trouble, he then rolls through and uses technique to put Kabashi's uh, wrist, like he turns them round on it. And and Kabashi's then in trouble because he's got to sort of unpick the lock. And then, uh, and then they have a strike exchange, and Kabashi wins that. But then Akiyama takes it to the mat, and he's able to pull off the leg lock. So it's like, you know, Kabashi has the strength, Akiyama has the technique. Kabashi has the strikes, Akiyama has the mat work. He has the yeah. holds, he has the submission moves. And, you know, Kabashi's way of escaping the leg lock is not to out-control him or turn it into a, a submission hold of his own. He just chops him in the neck repeatedly. <laughs> More than just like light chops, it's like he pounds the neck. He, mm. He's like a speed bag. So yeah, the first ten fifteen minutes are relatively slow paced and uh, not big exchanges of big moves to to start off with. They're they're playing it. They're wrestling long uh, essentially. Yeah. Um, again, it's quite even though it is face versus heel. It's not that blood hatred of Masawa and Kawada, so there's a bit more respect, and so it is a bit more scientific, like the Masawa-Kabashi matches. 
Um, and it, it takes a while for it to really kick up a notch. And for me, that that finally happens uh, maybe 15, 20 minutes into the match when Kabashi unleashes his infinite chops in the corner. <laughs> That's yeah, the first just... time we've seen that, really, of, of chops of that length of time. Oh, it goes on for, I think, almost a minute. Yeah. What do you if think? If I'm not that? mistaken. It's is it, fine. Is it the definition of excess. But yeah, I think you're right. I think, I think it, it goes on for too long. I don't know. It just ran a little bit too much. You know, like you can jump the shark a little bit. Like I said, the show, like this version of the show, like in a year's time or so, when it's him against Kensuke Sasuke, uh, they just exchange chops for about four or five minutes to each other. That's all they do. Um, and, Jesus. But like I said, it's relatively restrained. I have in total in my in my count um, like four head drops, four or five head yeah. drops. Uh, when Kabashi hits a, 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 his half Nelson suplex, that's the first head drop of the match. Again, about 20 minutes in. Uh, hits a lariat. And then he attempts the burning hammer. So it's like the first real attempt to finish the match off. Mm. Akiyama escapes, hit a desperate, hits a desperation German suplex, followed by a running knee, which I heard in commentary someone saying "shining wizard," but to me it's not a shining wizard. That's not a shining because he doesn't do a step up onto the uh, outstretched knee. Yeah, um, we've sort of brushed over yeah, uh, Johnny Akiyama's per- massive period of dominance in this match. I guess because it's not, it's not like Kabashi's like in trouble to the point that you think he's going to get pinned. It's more like you say, like a technical. Wearing him down, no big yeah. moves particularly. I don't really have. Any I do, notes I what do love in that, that portion of the match. I, I love his DDT onto the apron. Is that, uh, that is that at this point? That is at this point. It's quite early doors. Yeah. Point. Okay. Maybe I missed. So um, there's a sequence where he hits the jump. He's jumping in the ring, then drags Kabashi out onto the apron, hits the DDT, and then does this weird pivoty thing. He gets Kabashi up against the apron, like his feet are on the floor, and he's against the apron, then rides his back with a knee from the apron and takes Kabashi into the barrier. Okay. That's that's weird. That, like how you were talking about your test of strength being a bit 80s and a bit hokey. Just not that hokey. It, it, it just kind of works the, within the context of the story they're trying yeah. to tell. Just the pace of how quickly he basically forces Kabashi into the barrier did seem a little bit 80s to it. And I, obviously, like, I don't think it features heavily in your notes, but... If you get if it for those who are obviously like watching along with us, just just have a look at that moment. I don't know if you watch listen before or after. I don't I don't know what your preference is, but maybe they just it's... like hearing the sound of our voices. Simon. <laughs> and also, I will say, your Nakayama's front face lock, love it. I love that. I love the way he locks in that move. It's beautiful. He, he makes you feel like it's not just a rest hold. You're in deep trouble. You are in deep water when he locks that in. So, like uh, like most of these All Japan matches, really since the Tawei Misawa singles match, it then becomes defined on who's going to hit the big move on the apron. Uh, Kabashi goes for... Um, no, uh, Akiyama goes for an exploder suplex. Kabashi blocks that. Then Akiyama blocks... Uh, Kabashi's attempted a half Nelson suplex. Kabashi climbs to the second rope. Not quite sure what for. Uh, Akiyama stops him, climbs up, and then hits an exploder superplex. Uh, 
Yeah. From the second rope, not even from the apron anymore to the outside. So that's basically, you know, it's another step. It's the next step up from Misawa mm. hitting the tiger suplex uh, from the uh, entrance ramp to the outs to the to the floor underneath. And there we start to see something that. Well, there we see a spot which obviously we've talked about before. It's like crept more and more in, and it's a bit. It's a bit oh this spot's in every match now uh kenta barely making the count it makes sense uh obviously because it's like a finisher off the top rope i don't think we've seen before covering yonakiyama but and you've always got to remember that a lot of that a lot of these spots and that sort of thing is always in reference to how hulk hogan unexpectedly beat antonio inoki in the uh, iwgp tournament in 1983 where he hit him with an axe bomber when uh, Inoki's on the apron and he's completely knocked out outside the ring and is un- unable to answer the count. Yeah. So in Japan, there is, again, like like how there's historical significance behind um, the back suplex, there's mm. historical significance behind someone being knocked off the apron and having to beat the, the 20 count to get back. There's a great the moment, um, just, I know I'm, I'm, I'm jumping back and forth with this, but uh, you mentioned the back suplex, so it did skip my memory, but there's a really great moment when Akiyama hits the back suplex, and Kenta holds on for dear life and holds him in that headlock, and this is like Kenta's first like little gap in ages of absorbing Akiyama's offence, just to try and grind him down, and then Akiyama picks him up again, hits Another back suplex, but with less vigor because he's been worn down. Mm. Kent is still holding on, and it just shows the I've survived the wave. This is the my like crack of light. I'm going to force it open and get through it. Just that doggedness, the yeah. way, and it's a headlock. Yeah. But the way he applies it, the what what it means, Akiyama's attempts to get out of it. It's just you don't need to have every move be like drop you on the head, like you know. Kota Ibushi put myself in a wheelchair before I'm 50 kind of thing. Mm. It's yeah. the way you can, it's the simple nature of like the selling and the way those two made that move really like count, mm. if you see what I mean. So yeah, Junakiyama hits that desperation second rope, uh, explode a superplex to the outside, but he's been taking such a shit kicking, you know, taking the, some of, Kabashi's finishing moves for lesser opponents with the half Nelson suplex and the lariats and was susceptible to a burning hammer but just about escaped it so and obviously he has to take a bump off the second rope as well or or is he on the apron when he does that and it's just Kabashi whatever it is he's taking an apron bump and that takes a lot out of you he's not able to like pick Kabashi up and throw him into the ring himself he barely gets into the ring at like 16 or 17 and all he has the energy to do then is crawl over and pin Kabashi, and Kabashi puts his foot on the rope. So it's obvious that, like, for the past 30 seconds or so, Kabashi would be pinned for a three count. So then Akiyama feels like he's got to finish things off, puts him on the top rope, hits a top rope exploder superplex. Yeah. And well, that... he, he he hits a reg- regular one, then he hits the top rope one. Mm. And, but that doesn't get a three count. And this is where you now get into like the, the, the escalation of the big moves. And you feel like maybe Akiyama's got to debut some sort of murder-death-kill version of his Burning Hammer to win at this point. Because he's sort of run out of ideas now. Yeah. And so what he does is he goes back to the leg lock, which is weird. Like, I guess obviously because of Kabashi's knee issues, that's the story. But I can't recall 
again, it's not like the Masawa Kabashi matches where with the where the knee's been really severely targeted by. Akira. No, you're right. I can't recall an so impact. So there's no great me. tension in that moment, other than it just shows how out of it Kabashi is. He can't strike his way out of it like he did yeah. earlier. He doesn't seem to have the strength to like overpower Akiyama or the technique to reverse the hold, so he just has to desperately scramble to the rope. So obviously Kabashi is fighting for his life here, which is often, you know, that is the position of the champion. Someone, if you're the champion, you're having everything thrown at you. That's what was happening to Masawa, and now it's happening to Kabashi. Kabashi is essentially getting a taste of his own medicine at this point. Um, but then Kabashi again. Uh, uh, Akiyama hits another exploder that also gets another close. Th- See, I think you might have got the exploders the wrong way around there. Possibly. He hits the, and that's again like uh, Akiyama's running out of ideas, so he's just going back to the well of another exploder that also doesn't get a three count. Kabashi now has the desperation move where he hits him with a brainbuster that looks nasty as fuck. Oh, he spikes him. <laughs> but it's interesting when you see it in the slow motion, Kabashi do- Akiyama does get the neck up. He tucks his chin. Yeah. But the shoulders and the back of the neck take that bump. So it's basically no better than what... It's just a different kind of trauma. Yeah, it's just a different kind of issue. Um, And now we get to the (sighs) pop-ups. Kabashi hits a half Nelson suplex. Akiyama pops up. Akiyama hits uh, exploder suplex. Kabashi pops up. Kabashi hits a half Nelson suplex. Akiyama pops up. Akiyama hits an exploder suplex. Kabashi pops up. They both go for a lariat, and then Kabashi finally knocks Akiyama down with a lariat. Akiyama tries to pop up and falls back down to the ground. Yeah. So, like, this is the the pop up taken to its almost to its extreme, and we've already debated it in the past. Does this seem excessive, like the kickings out of all these exploder suplexes? Well, I know Kent has used the half Nelson suplex to put away lesser opponents. Um, But Akiyama, that is his finisher. It's not his murder death kill finisher, but that is his finisher. And he's already hit like three or four of them on Kent. From the top rope. Yeah. Do, Do you not think it's just weakened his move like Massively, it's because it's within the tradition of the pop-up cell. Um, but, but you, you don't like need you to use your like, finisher like you to do it. Do I feel like you can only do that pop-up once for it to be effective. Yeah. Possibly. And does it, it have to it be your finishing move? It was like a markdown for me personally. Mm. Others will love it, but I didn't as much. And no, I, I, I think it is noticeable that the pop-up is more is a lot more out of fashion than it used than a lot of these other things that are still in yeah. fashion like the trading of strikes and you know murder death kill finishers and and kickouts of every move under the sun i haven't seen johnny gargano really do that many pop up cells uh, no cells to my mm. knowledge i might be wrong but i can't recall it like I said, I, my pre- my preference of the ro- of the pop up is that they've just rolled through the move and they've been able to yeah. avoid the contact that's what i in my head, that's what caused Kevin Owens to pop up immediately when when Sami Zayn hit him with a half Nelson suplex. <laughs> but yeah, Kabashi hits him with his lariat, dusts off the moonsault for old times. Both of those get really long two counts. And then finally, Burning Hammer, 1, 2, 3, 35 minutes, 34 seconds. Kabashi wins to fight another day as GHC heavyweight champion. Akiyama is not yet the ace. Now, um, 
I try and look at just the in-ring content of the match wherever possible. And the finish is of, is part of that, I guess. But And like, like we said in the past, this is like one of only eight or seven or eight times in his entire career that Kabashi actually had to use the burning hammer. Yeah. The Masada uh, killer, essentially. It makes sense. He's absorbed a lot of punishment. It does make... Like, from that standpoint, it's like he's had to use the burning hammer to win. That does make sense. I had the overwhelming feeling the wrong man won this match. Just from the way it flowed. And I've, I've written that bit specifically down in my notes. And it, to me, it does detract a little from the quality of the match. Because it's not like, oh, surprise winner. You know, it's it's just like, oh, he's, he's took so many finishes and then hits a couple of moves and his super finisher and wins. It just seems a bit, oh. It doesn't <sighs> seem to build up to its crescendo as well as some of the old All Japan matches have. Oh, like absolutely with, Like with Masao, it was basically, he takes a shit kicking, hits one move, hits another move, and then maybe hits the third move and that's it. Whereas, it, my memory of the other matches are that it's a gradual wearing down of your opponent yeah. over an extended period of time. That was my memory. Whereas, maybe maybe we're just looking at it with rose-tinted glasses. But again, it it's not as big a culprit as the second Misawa Kawada match that we watched. Mm-hmm. And I know I overuse this term enough uh, more, but it still feels like it lacked some of that connective tissue. Yeah. Oh, no, I agree. Things don't transition as... Nat- There's not as much of a natural flow to this match compared to the others. It's still a great spectacle. It's obvious that all these people in the Tokyo Dome are having a great time of it. And you can understand why it was like a five-star match in a Mm. relatively barren period of time for wrestling as far as Dave Meltzer and five-star ratings were concerned. The problem we've got... I think maybe the problem is we're watching this in an intense period of time where where we've watched so many five-star matches. Whereas for a lot of people, that's a relatively hazy memory at this point. We are... You know, they're five years away from those Misawa Kabashi All Japan classics... And one year away from the only Masawa Kabashi match in Noah that had happened in between. Whereas mm. we're only like three days after that we're watching this, you know? Yeah. But to go back to your connective tissue um, statement, I've, I'm, I completely agree with that. Because this match is three blocks. It's got Kenta being the champion, beating down Akiyama. Like, oh, I, I am the daddy. Akiyama bodying Kenta for a significant period of time. Finishing straight. Where are you defining the start of the finishing straight? Is it when Kabashi hits the the half Nelson suplex and the lariat and then goes to the burning hammer and Akiyama's able to return fire? I the, would start just a little bit earlier. I have the... Suplex. I would say Kenta's, uh, Kenta Kabashi's brain buster is the start because then you've got look, the whole... Trading of moves, whereas well, obviously previous, he hits the brainbuster quite late in the match. Yeah, and then obviously then you've got the pop-ups, then you've got the finish. What then you've got Kenta's like mm. um, lariat moonsault burning it's, hammer. But, but again, it's like there were there were there were there were chapters and chunks and acts within all the other matches that we've mm. loved more than this. So again, are we just? But to go back to your connective tissue point, they seem to segue in whereas these feel a bit more like chunky this feels a bit more like big chunk pickle than small chunk pickle i wonder if it's more a case of like uh like we were saying maybe too much of a good thing i don't know i don't know if you've only had you know 
basically the Kabashi GHC title matches around this time were like the only great matches that were happening in a, in the eyes of a lot of wrestling fans. Like I said, <clears> especially <throat> in Japan. New Japan's a shit show. All Japan's like a bunch of American WWF knockoffs feuding against Kijimuto for the most part. <laughs> um, Always the owner, isn't it, in those situations? Well, he's the one you can trust to be there. Um, I've got a vested interest in that. Yeah. I really don't want to be too... Like, again, this is a very good main event match. I, I always feel, again, like we repeat ourselves so much when we, when we don't give these five-star matches. It's not me saying that these guys haven't put it all out. They haven't given a match that people will love. It's just not a match that I will put in the five-star Ultra Pantheon of um, of the some of the past Masawa Kabashi, Masawa yeah. Kibana, Akiyama, Masawa, Kawada Tawe, you know, all the four pillars matches. I enjoyed and watching I'll... it, but I, th- I agree with your sentiment. Um, this isn't five stars for me. Uh, what do you think of Akiyama now, with this being our final match? He had a grand total of seven five-star matches. Only one of them a singles match, which is this one. Yeah. All the others were either five tag team matches and one six-man tag. I quite like him, but in pretty much every one of those seven matches, he is the weaker man. But that's not a fault on him. That's he's well, against. That was just where he's, where he where he was in his career at that point. Yeah, and I think he like so many of the of his third generation guys, Tenzan, Kojima, Nagata, Nakanishi. He was never given the chance to be the star that the their their predecessors were, and their and their post. Uh, stars, you know, after especially in New Japan, were afterwards. Yeah, and especially for Akiyama, you've got to notice he didn't get his three other pillars. You know, he basically is the entirety of the third generation of all Japan. Yeah, he's a one-man band. Yeah, you know what I mean. He didn't. He wasn't lucky enough to have a Masawa and a Kabashi and a Kawada, or a Masawa and a Kabashi or a Tawe or yeah. whatever around him to carry a whole thing. You know. Like he was feuding with when when he was the GHC champion, he was challenge, He was feuding with guys like Yoshinari Ogawa, you know. And you can't get that lucky though, like mm. all well, the time. But he's like the only one that seemed to be able to hang with these people. Like when we saw other guys, like yeah. when we briefly see Tamon Honda in one match, or or other figures from that time, Yoshinari Ogawa. They just don't, they can't stand toe to toe, and Akiyama was the only yeah. one that did. So, if Akiyama had three or four, you know, two or three other talents of his level developing with him at the same yeah. time in all Japan and then going to Noah, could he be have spoken of as highly? Could he have ended up having up to 25 star matches like Masawa, Kabashi, and Kawada did? Potentially. Um, it's all about how the product would have grown in nowhere, I guess. Would pick, would they have gone? Would they have just kept doing King's Road? Would the product have well? Che- no. Because if they if they had four fresh faces rather than just one fresh face, would they have changed styles? Would they have had diff- like well, gone I a different route? Also, one of the problems was that so many the great talent that was coming from nowhere in that gener that new generation, the fourth generation, you know, the equivalents of the Tanahashi's. And the Nakamura's were the Marafujis and the Kentas who were clear junior heavyweights. Yeah, you know, Kenta was never going to get any taller than five foot nine. Uh, Marafuji was never going to get any taller than like five foot ten, five foot eleven. 
And it just never worked as well. It never was quite as convincing. Like, there were guys that were having matches almost as good as Masawa Kawada and Kabashi, but they weren't drawing the crowds. Maybe because that style had just run out. Like, Japan is quite faddish in its culture, apparently. Yeah. Like, MMA was ruining pro wrestling. You know, maybe they were all feeling the effects of Inoki's idiocy of putting guys like Nagata... (laughs) (laughs) Guys <laughs> like Nagata and Jushin Liger and Shinsuke Nakamura in the MMA world where they could not be the best at all. Yeah. Um, Nakamura got a couple of wins, but that was it. You know, the best one was Fujita and he was a terrible wrestler. And, you know. But Akiyama during this time period was having so much gro- Like, he was the one that thrived in the initial split of Noah and All Japan because Masao wanted to take a backseat role. Yeah. Because. Um, Kabashi was on the was on the broken list because Kawada stayed with All Japan and because Tawei's time had really come and gone and he would have probably been the first to admit it at that point. Um, but what Akiyama was able to do then was flourish with like the relationships with New Japan and he went to New Japan and had some great matches with his third generation contemporaries like Yuji Nagata in particular. They formed a great rivalry slash uh, team at different points. He took part in the 2003 G1 Climax and was the great invading heel and reached okay. the way to the final where he lost to Tenzan in, and in that moment he was basically, he was there to make Tenzan the new star and then, like, if you want to see a wrestler booked potentially even worse than a lot of the current day WWE stars, just read up on how Tenzan was treated during his time trying to become the ace of New Japan or being given his shot to become the ace of New Japan. It's ridiculous stuff you can get hamstrung by creativity as good as like anyone is you yeah. can't, you're a victim just... of circumstances like as yeah. great as Masawa was if all he had around him were Tamon Hondas and you know Yoshinari Ogawa's when he was in his prime yeah you can only you know you can only squeeze so many five star matches out of them the fact well, that well there, let's you know let's, let's be, you know, it's like the Beatles being around at the same time. Or, yeah, well, let's peel it back to someone not all Japan, but another good example of this. Ric Flair. Ric Flair's five-star matches are against who? Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Barry Windham, Terry Funk. They're no slouches. Not one of those are slouches. Mm. You know, well, that, Barry Windham after a while, but not whilst he was... Not, not, not during not, this not, period. Not during this period. Um, yeah, of course. But also the thing about... Flair was that he could get a great match out of anyone. Like, you know, you can look up matches where he's having against guys like, you know, Coco Beware or Sid Vicious or, you know, um, I think he had a, there's a really good match out there against Butch Reed, possibly. He even mm. got, a, even kind of got a good match out of El Gigante at one point. And again, that was the thing, like, Masawa didn't really need to have to worry about those sort of things. He was always being put up against these great wrestlers. Yeah. Um, that were also, like, you know, worked with, you know, it's, again, I don't know yet enough about Akiyama, we'd have to watch more stuff, he's he's obviously had a prosperous career, he's now running all Japan, back where he, where he started, he's held the Triple Crown, in um, all Japan are doing a lot better now than they have done f- for a long time, although they have recently, tragically lost their booker to a, a freak car, a motorcycle accident, oh. so that's obviously might be a factor now that might Hot, put a halt to it. Yeah, but I, you know, Akiyama can look at his career and say he was a damn good wrestler who I think recently got inducted into the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame as well. Good. So you know, yeah, of that, of I... that, of that slightly cursed third generation of stars, 
he he's a he's a shining example that people should seek out if they haven't watched much, much yeah much much i think we've given like most of the matches that Junakiyama has been involved one of us at least one of us has given it five stars like yeah. between us we gave all of the masawa akiyama kawada tawe matches five stars just one of us gave it to two matches and the other one gave it to the other one of those three matches yeah I think this is the only one where we haven't, because neither of us gave it this one well, five stars. Well, we didn't stars, give the six-man tag five stars. No. And we didn't give the, the, the team the match with Akabashi against uh, Masaru and Ogawa five stars. Well, maybe you did. You might have done that. I don't know. <clears throat> I think you have quite a soft spot for Akiyama. You kept going on about how much you liked his hair and thought he was a handsome man. He is a handsome man. His yeah. ears are starting to cauliflower at this point. Yeah, I don't know. You can see. Uh, especially when you're looking at an era of guys like Sonada and Kota Ibushi. Oh, well, Kota Ibushi's gorgeous. Sonada's no slouch either. Yeah. Uh, just, uh, Kota Ibushi is gorgeous, but, you know. Yeah, yeah, but also your ricochets and your, you know. Ah, Trevor. I love Trevor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hangman Page. You know, there's some, there's some good-looking guys out That's... there. Not a bad looking man is either. Who, sorry? Not a bad looking man. I was just thinking about how man pays like said, visualizing. I thought you it. said Taz. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm mean, short and squat, dude. <laughs> we've all got we've all got our, uh, our odd predilections, and maybe your odd predilection is to keep listening to us talk about more five star matches. If so, stay tuned because we're going to another brand new promotion after two matches from Noah. Where are we going to next time, Simon? We're going to R-O-H, Ring of H. Honor. H. Honor. Ring of Honor. Honor. With a Honor. U in there as well, is there, Simon? There is. It's the correct spell. What match is it? The first North American match to be given five stars by Dave Meltzer in seven years after Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker. It's the 16th of October, 2004. What is the match in Chicago, Illinois? It's between uh, Samoa Joe and CM Punk. That guy. That guy. I've heard about him. He's all right. I keep hearing things about AEW. Who knows? Oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm, we're not doing that here. I'm not having that. Like, like neither, neither tabloid gossip nonsense here. That's like his version of Victor Meldrew's I Don't Believe It Now, I guess, isn't it? <laughs> like for the rest of his life he'll be asked if he's going to AEW <laughs> yeah even after AEW if AEW folds he'll still be getting asked that question <laughs> or why didn't you you could have saved them yeah you could have been able to get us to buy you another house it's your fault your fault punk I love you why do you make me hate you <laughs> We'll talk Sounds about the cult of punk and maybe... That weirdly started... That started to sound like suffer an abusive husband would say. So this is getting dark now. Well, you, know, you hear rumours. But anyway... <laughs> um, anyway, until then, if people want to get in touch with you, Simon, uh, give you some unusual <laughs> photos of Jun Akiyama that really don't look like he gave his permission to be taken, what can you <laughs> do? People can show off their photoshopping skills uh, at Simon Cross Free. Uh, so known for the number of exploders and half Nelson suplex dashed out during the uh, pop up period. My name is Lorcan Mullen. That's L O R C A N M U W L A for Akiyama, N for the half Nelson suplex. That's my email account if you put an at gmail.com at the end of it. Otherwise, you can look up me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. 
and you'll find me there somewhere. Give me a follow, give me a mail. If you want to give the show an email, it's lmtyspod at gmail.com. But there's nothing much left to say at this point other than my name's Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five-star time. Until the next time. It was time to go. Tugs fussed and pulled her great bulk away from the quay until her own three engines and 55,000 horsepower could take over. Stories high. She was the largest and most luxurious diner in the world.